Good evening, and uh, thank you. So, thank you so much, Gemma, for how you've led us so far. Uh, and I know you're going to be leading us after I speak in, in a time of response. So, thank you for being willing to, to do that this evening. As Gemma said, that, that those were dangerous words we were pray, uh, singing. Show me how to love like you have loved me, and break my heart for what breaks yours. As I say, I know Gemma's going to lead us a little later on in how we respond to that. This evening, uh, we are picking up the third segment uh, of the Fruit of the Spirit, which is peace for anyone who is visiting, or if this is your first time on a Sunday evening uh, for a while. Nine a day is is a relatively new series focusing on the importance of becoming more and more like Jesus as the fruit of his spirit grows, develops, and ripens in our lives. And and so for those of us who follow Jesus, uh, and I'm going to kind of take a guess that that's the majority of us here this evening, but for those of us who follow Jesus, we recognize the need to become more loving, joyful, peaceful, kind, and truthful, etc. And and so far, and this is just by way of a a quick summary, we've looked at and we've kind of acknowledged this internal conflict that rages within every single one of us who are Christians. This internal conflict that makes becoming more and more like Jesus a, a very real challenge. Because on one hand or in one corner, we we have the sinful nature which still wants us to be selfish, still wants us to be jealous, to express anger, to hold grudges, to serve other things other than God. That sinful nature that still wants us to pursue pleasures down dead-end streets. And at times, the intensity of the temptation to entertain and embrace those desires of the flesh, those desires of the sinful nature, it's overwhelming. But on the other hand, or in the other corner, we have the Spirit of God living within us who produces and longs to produce a whole range of very different attitudes And reactions and characteristics in our lives like patience and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And in light of this internal conflict that is raging within every single one of us who follow Jesus. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 says explicitly, live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit in order that his fruit will be seen and will be on display in your lives so that you are increasingly formed, conformed, transformed into Christ's likeness, which is our calling, it's our goal, and it is ultimately our destination because one day we will be like him. But for now, we're, we're on this journey this process of becoming more and more like Jesus. But there is this internal conflict raging within. So Paul says, live by the Spirit. 
keep in step with the Spirit. In addition, we've also highlighted the need to abide, that we've got to remain in Jesus. Because according to the true vine, it's only those branches who remain in him, who remain in his word, who remain in his love, who will actually produce much fruit in their lives. According to Jesus, apart from me, you will produce nothing. That's exactly what Jesus said to his disciples. Apart from me, you will produce nothing. So therefore, you've got to remain in me, remain in my words, remain in my love. And so even before we consider the nine segments, there are at least a couple of key issues and questions or issues to consider and questions to answer. How do we? Or what are we doing to remain in Jesus? What are we doing to keep in step with his spirit? Because unless we know, and unless we are being intentional about this and praying about it on a daily basis, like we've been urging everyone to do by using this prayer, and I have got more of these prayer cards tonight printed if you would like one. But unless we know how to remain in Jesus and how to keep in step with the Spirit, we will find it virtually impossible to see these nine characteristics growing in our lives. And so just right at the start, let me, let me ask you, just answer this for yourself. What are you doing to remain in Jesus? What have you done this week to keep in step with his Spirit? Last week, we then spent a bit of time looking at the first two segments, love and joy. And we thought about how, and this echoes the song we've just sang, we thought about how we have got to love like Jesus. We're invited, we're commanded to love others as Jesus has loved us. That's what he said. Love others as I have loved you. In other words, our love has got to be sacrificial. It's got to be self-giving. It's got to be active. And I suppose in, a, in one way, out of tonight, we hear these stories, we hear about this issue, this problem on our streets. And the question is, how are we going to love the Adams and Annas of this world? We've got to love others as Jesus has loved us, sacrificially, self-giving, active love. And then we looked at joy, this deep, abiding joy that grows and this is the hard bit despite our circumstances a joy that can be known in our struggles and in our suffering as we accept their ability to produce in us endurance and to strengthen our character and to make us more like Jesus and so to see this segment of joy ripen in our lives we have to rejoice today and in every day that the Lord has made, no matter what this day throws at us or what it holds, joy, rejoice, whatever the circumstances. And that's hard. But that's how this segment grows, develops, ripens in our lives. Tonight, then, we come to peace. And again, this is, this is one of these big biblical words. 
It's written all over the pages of Scripture. And it means and it relates to a number of different things. But primarily I want us to think about it in terms of as a segment of the fruit of the Spirit. And, And so we're not going to spend a lot of time thinking about peace with God. Although it would be crazy not to say something about peace with God. Because unless we have, unless we know peace with God, we won't fully get the peace that this segment refers to. And so the Bible makes it pretty clear that we were born as as enemies of God. That's a direct result of sin and self. It's a bleak reality. And yet the good news that we celebrate and declare is that even though we were estranged from God, alienated from God, and while we were still sinners as we were here in this morning, Christ died for us. Jesus has made reconciliation with God possible, not because of anything we've done, not because of anything we could ever do, but all because of Jesus. And therefore, we can become friends of God again. We can have that relationship that has been fractured. We can have it restored Listen to this amazing truth from Colossians 1. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. It's all done by Jesus. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. So this is a peace that that many of us in this church tonight are eternally grateful for. And if you don't have that peace with God, which is kind of the starting place, if you don't have that peace with God, then then please do speak to some of us afterwards. But as we, we begin thinking about more what it means to become peaceful, as Christians and display this segment, there there are a couple of dimensions to it that I want us to look at. The second of the two is probably the primary one. But to start with, I want us to think about and consider the peace of God. Not just peace with God, but the peace of God. A peace that is beyond human logic that can make such a significant difference to our day-to-day lives and life in general. Again, let me just anchor that claim in God's word. Familiar verse, Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God which transcends all understanding beyond human logic, doesn't make any sense whatsoever, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is a peace that we long to know and see grow in our lives, isn't it? And whenever you set this verse in context, it it has an even greater impact because this is a peace that can replace and alleviate worry and anxiety. I guarantee you there's a number of people here tonight are worried about something, are anxious, to the point possibly of being distracted. This is a peace that can replace and alleviate worry and anxiety. It's a peace that we can experience even when we're facing difficulties and find ourselves in stressful situations. And so there is a similarity here between this and the second segment, joy, because once again, this is something you can know at a very deep and a very profound level despite your circumstances. 
let me just read the preceding verse to this. So, ju just to, so that you don't think I'm, I'm just sitting plucking these ideas out of thin air. They're, I'm hoping they're grounded in God's word. Anything that I say. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, we can know the peace of God and become more peaceful. How? Through prayer. Now, that might seem like a very simple, obvious answer, but, but I can't get away from that answer, according to God's word. That if we want, if we want to see this peace of God, this, this peace that passes all human on, uh, comprehension, growing and developing and ripening in our lives, then we have got to be a people of prayer. We are urged and encouraged to take those things that weigh heavily on our minds, those issues that cause us anxiety and pray about them, present them before God, present them to God and nothing is off limits. Nothing is too trivial. If it matters to you, it matters to God. And so to give you that verse in the, in the New Living Translation, it reads, don't worry about anything but pray about everything. There, there's nothing off limits. And we are to pray it says with, with thanksgiving, and, and this, is, this is for me the difficult bit. But grateful hearts, you see, retain a sense of perspective. Whenever we worry and we get stressed, we can easily become consumed by our circumstances and our problems. But whenever we concentrate on God and his grace in our lives, we begin to recognize God is good. God is in control. God can be trusted with us. God can be trusted not only with us, but in this. God is for us. He's not against us. God is at work in our lives. And therefore, I pray with a certain perspective and through a certain lens. It says, I'm going to pray with thanksgiving. Is it easy to pray? Whenever life is pressing in, no, it's not. It's why this advice for me is really important elsewhere in God's word. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. You see, prayer, yes, it's a gift. But prayer is also a discipline. It's a gift, but it's a discipline. We choose to embrace it. We choose to practice it. And we must. But as and when we do, according to God's word, as and when we do, we can know the peace of God, this inner sense of contentment and tranquility supplied by God even in the midst of mess and mayhem, which, humanly speaking, is hard to explain. I love how uh, Tom Wright, in his popular commentary on Philippians, puts it, and I've shared this quote before, prayer like that will mean that God's peace, not a stoic lack of concern, but a deep peace in the middle of life's problems and storms will guard around your heart and mind like a squadron of soldiers looking after a treasure chest. So question, how's your prayer life at the moment? Is there constant, consistent dialogue? Do, do you take everything to God in prayer? 
Is there a direct correlation between a lack of prayer and a lack of peace? As Christians, we become more peaceful as we become more prayerful. And I believe we discover more about this segment through regular conversation with our Father. That's how this grows. But having mentioned peace with God, the peace of God, let me concentrate for the final part of this evening on peace with others, which is the peace that God calls us to. It's actually the peace God calls for. As I understand it, this is how the word peace is most often used in Paul's writings. It's about peace between people. And ultimately, primarily, it's about peace between Christians. We live in a world where in certain places peace is an elusive reality, and we've been thinking about that already this evening. There's very little of it between people groups, between individuals. In fact, the exact opposite is true. There is conflict, there is tension, there is division, there is suspicion, there is open hostility, verbally, physically. And therefore, the need for peace and for peacemakers is a constant. And according to Jesus, and we looked at this recently in our world-changing series, blessed are the peacemakers. God's favor is found and his kingdom comes whenever people are brought together. That's what that means. Whenever there's harmony and there's reconciliation. And kingdom people are those who actively, and let me, I will come back to that word in a moment. Kingdom people are those who actively seek to pursue and promote peace. Paul writing to Christians in Rome made it really clear when he said, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, that's the bet. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Massively challenging. And in terms of this as a segment of the fruit of the Spirit, this, this is what it means and must look like in your life and mine. But as I've already mentioned, there is a definite sense, yes, we've got to live at peace with everyone, but there's a definite sense where this starts at home. This starts amongst the family of God. This starts between Christians. And Paul, in particular, wrote into a number of situations where he emphasized how crucial this was. And if you're following our Sunday morning series in 1 Corinthians, you'll know that we spent last week looking at Paul's appeal to the Christians in that church, in that city, to live in harmony, to be united, not to be divided. But I want to go back to Rome for a minute because in that church there were some very real tensions between Christians who had come from very different backgrounds. And so there were problems relating to what people ate, what they should eat, what they shouldn't eat, what they could eat, what they couldn't eat. There was tension between Christians about which days were more important than other days, which days were sacred and which days were not. And as a result, Christians were judging each other. Paul even says some of them were having contempt for one another. And so Paul writes into their situation, he says, listen, cut it out because it's wrecking the work and mission of God. And last week, and I know I labored this point, but whenever Christians are divided, whenever Christians are at loggerheads, it severely 
threatens our witness and undermines, for many people watching on and listening in, it undermines the reality of the gospel that we declare. Our message of transformation, our message of love and grace, it jars whenever there's division between Christians. Or at the very least, this message of transformation and love and grace is called into question whenever Christians are divided. But as Paul writes to the Jewish and Gentile Christians, and this this was what was going on, people from different backgrounds coming to faith in Jesus, but as Paul writes to the Jewish and and the Gentile Christians in Rome, here's his key message and his key instruction and advice. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. In other words, aim for harmony and build each other up. You know, one of the fascinating aspects of this situation is that Paul goes on to say, and I, I, I treasure this, Paul goes on to say to them, so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. In other words, they were to be at peace even over disputable matters. Do you know, Paul recognized they weren't going to agree on everything, but they were still to do what it takes to lead to, or to be at peace with each other. And if there's ever a message that the Christian church needs to embrace afresh, it's this. Because do you know something? Using scripture and carefully crafted arguments or perspective, there are genuine Bible-believing Christians who differ over views regarding baptism, the role of women, the gifts of the Spirit, the second coming, church government, etc., etc., etc. But whenever that leads to division, whenever it leads to judgment, and sadly, when it leads to contempt, that's when we desperately need this segment of the fruit of the Spirit to come to the fore. Peace even in disputable matters. But back to that word active. Because when it comes to the part we play in seeing or encouraging this segment to grow and develop in our lives, we need to acknowledge that, that peacemaking is active. It's never or rarely passive. And so here in Romans 14, Paul just says, listen, you've got to make every effort. You've got to work at this. And in a similar vein, whenever the Apostle Peter was writing to Christians about godly living in an ungodly context, he urged them to love one another and then to do what he said. Listen, I want you to seek peace. I want you to pursue it. It's got to be something you intentionally go after. It's not going to happen naturally. We are flawed human beings. We are going to fall out with one another. We're going to see things differently. We're going to be at loggerheads. And if we just run with this, then stuff's going to creep in. It is going to divide us. And so Paul says, Peter says, listen, seek it, pursue it, go intentionally after it. Again, just what Peter says in the New Living Translation, search for peace and work to maintain it. Work to maintain it. Peacemaking and becoming more peaceful requires effort. But it's absolutely vital we do whatever it takes. I uh, nearly done. I, I know Peter Tate doesn't mind me mentioning this, what I'm about to share, uh, because I ran it past him uh, during the week. 
Peter is one of our missionary family who lives and works in London for a mission organization. But Peter was with us here on Wednesday night at our prayer meeting. And he was sharing about his work of creating and providing online courses for missionaries to access wherever they are in the world. And the two courses that Peter is working on that are a major priority for use on the field amongst Christians are conflict resolution and communication skills. And part of me is encouraged that here are Christians making every effort to do what it takes to lead to peace. But you know something? There's another part of me, maybe a bigger part of me, that finds it slightly unnerving that such courses are a major priority amongst Christian missionaries. That they need courses on conflict resolution and communication skills. For us... As a local church and individual Christians, we have got to do whatever it takes to seek peace. We've got to make it happen. And therefore, if this crucial segment of the fruit of the Spirit is growing in our lives, we will address and we will resolve conflicts. We, as opposed to add to them, fuel them or ignore them. We will be peacemakers and kingdom builders. We will avoid attitudes that create division and disunity. We will be quick to apologize, quick to forgive. We will seek to control our tongues, avoid gossip, choose our words very, very carefully so that we build others up rather than tear them down. And as with every segment, this third one is essential if we're going to become more and more like Jesus. And so it is my hope and prayer that those of us who know peace with God would increasingly know and display the peace of God which comes through prayer and peace with others, particularly one another, that comes through making every effort to pursue it and to maintain it. And so may you and I become more and more peaceful so that we become more and more and more and more and increasingly like Jesus who we follow. Gemma.